This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with today's episode number 144. Well, just ahead, why e-commerce darling Shopify is struggling to regain its footing as the pandemic ebbs. And Viacom CBS is placing big bets and changing its name. It's all about Paramount Plus. We'll talk about their most recent screw up. And the chances are the device you're listening on this podcast who came from uh, with some software preloaded from a cybersecurity company called Absolute Software. We're going to talk to the CEO, Christy Wyatt. He's going to talk about the company's working to give computers and phones the ability to self-heal and why this could be the next big thing in cybersecurity. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, but that gets a lot easier. You click the subscribe button to make sure you catch every show. And we are sponsored by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're glad to have you. We're going to explain the business stories behind Stocks in the Move. This isn't just about squiggly lines on a chart. No, it's about the businesses. And to help us explore that, as always, our executive producer, Isaac Webster. Isaac, how are you? Good. You know, I'm a big fan of squiggly lines, though. I love myself a chart. Yeah, not me. Chart, dots, ooh, a little dot plot. I remember, I was thinking I was thinking about some TV anchors I used to work with who would teach themselves to, you know, this is bouncing off the 200-day moving average. I'm like, you don't even know what product the company makes. Shut up. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but hey, follow that dotted line. Yeah. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Big news out of Shopify today. Yeah, Shopify trades under SHOP. Shop shares have plunged 50% in a year. In fact, it's been a pretty sharp and steady drop since last November when shares briefly touched almost 1670. And now they're trading around 736. Wow. So a big drop. And this this was a pandemic darling for a while, but with, it's good news for the rest of us, but maybe the pandemic uh, uh, ta- tapering off at the very least um, and the company warning about that. Let's talk specifically about the earnings. So they had revenue of $1.4 billion in the quarter they just announced, uh, which is a big growth, a 41% growth uh, year over year. Um, although they did swing from $123 million profit to a $371 million loss with a big jump in costs, uh, specifically sales and marketing and R&D. 
But the big news was they were warning that that with a slowdown in um, the things that drove pandemic purchasing, indeed a slowdown of the pandemic, that the COVID triggered acceleration of e-commerce that, you know, was uh, really even spilled into the end of last year in the first half of 2021, that's going to be gone in 2022. And that's going to make the comparisons over last year tough for a company that didn't have trouble with comparisons where sales growth, double digit sales growth, even triple digit sales growth was fantastic. I mean, but who's to, who can blame them? I mean, of course, things are going to change as the pandemic leaves and they got this nice little shot in the arm from the pandemic, but who thought that this would be momentum they could keep up without a pandemic? To go on forever. And I think what, what you see from Shopify is some changes in their business model. There was a lot of conversation on the conference call today about um, uh, moving to a, a network or Shopify network, spending a lot of money on distribution centers and fulfillment centers or whatever you're going to call them. I call them distribution centers. Okay. What they want, they want us to feel, have a, a heartfelt feeling for fulfillment centers. I would think oh, of like yeah, a yoga yeah, yeah. studio. Fulfillment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it would have like acupuncture. It's like a, a fulfillment, fulfillment center? Maybe, maybe uh, you churches, can go in any direction with the word fulfillment. Sure. Maybe the churches could put signs out in front saying fulfillment center and they get more people on Sunday mornings. But that would be false advertising. I, I disagree. You're going to the wrong church. <laughs> in any case. Uh, another That's a conversation for, for a different program, a different show. But uh, here, here is uh, interesting, you know, for these guys too. Another problem with them is fulfilling their open jobs. So they are still having trouble hiring, particularly around engineers. Maybe they should talk to our friends at Brain Trust. Yeah, um, Brain. I, I think actually the Brain Trust. It's a separate conversation. Maybe we'll talk about it during one of the Brain Trust ad reads. But I think that the the employment of engineers is is, is vexing lots and lots of companies. Um, and uh, Shopify uh, chief among them. Indeed, um, you could listen to the Shopify CEO talk about this in the conference call, um, uh, how he just can't find enough people. And you see Amazon going from a purely stock comp or a stock comp heavy pay uh, structure to more higher salaries. Um, and you see the same thing from Shopify where they're saying, you know, they're doing whatever they can to get uh, people. Here's CEO Tobias Lutke talking about hiring engineers. It's tight. They, like we have not, um, like Planet Earth has not made enough engineers to um, deal with the rapid um, digitalization and we've uh, gone through with COVID um, and so on. So um, like the, 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 the money component is a, is a big component and stock components are a big component and, and, and Shopify is uh, amongst the best paying companies in the world um, in, in both things. And increasingly talent like gravitates to companies though that have other things to offer. Like for instance, um, uh, you know, personal growth is just incredibly important. Everyone gets that uh, most of the return in, in your career comes in the future, um, especially when you're, you're pretty early and right out of university. So, you know, just some of the co uh, company values like being constant learner uh, work really, really well in this way. I think people can get an enormous amount of experience uh, here. They can, um, engineers can report an unbroken chain of other engineers all the way to, uh, you know, including uh, some people of the board of directors. And for me, um, um, people like uh, on the design side, um, companies, the company is one which sweats all details. And um, that's really, really appreciated by people in that craft. And um, uh, the product discipline is super well established with me playing a very active role and, uh, you know, teaching what I've learned over the last 17 years. So um, a lot of people, uh, I, there is a big um, talent 
scramble in the world. Um, there's a lot of shuffling uh, going on. Uh, Shopify is on the good side of uh, the shuffling, it seems, and that's that's works really, really well for the merchants that we uh, are building for every day. So yeah, uh, trying to offer great opportunities for engineers in any way that can make them happy is clearly a, a focus of Tobias Lucky, uh, the CEO of Shopify. And Isaac, uh, you know, they're not alone in this, uh, this battle to get talent and the changing ways to hire for it. And maybe the change in the end of work from home for a lot of companies might free up a lot of jobs. Some people just not wanting to go back to work and go back to the office. We also just need more engineers. Yeah, and doctors. Yeah. Teachers. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Viacom CBS, the disaster that is as much fun as I've had over the years covering the disasters every single quarter at IBM or Hewlett Packard. Viacom has been a special company the last decade. Uh, Viacom CBS. Before we get going, I got to mention I'm completely biased. My husband does work for CBS and we are Viacom CBS shareholders. So just putting it out there. Don't listen to me. Viacom CBS trades under VIAC. Shares have lost, again, 50% over the past 12 months, just like Shopify. Shares took a deep dive in the middle of last month and at tw and, uh, 29 bucks a share today. They are a lifetime away from the high they reached of 100 bucks a share back in March 2021. Yeah, so um, announcing earnings for the fourth quarter. Uh, they were actually up 16% to $3.4 billion dollars. Um, and in particular, streaming revenues. So they're streaming services of Showtime, um, Paramount Plus. Uh, they've got an international uh, uh, streaming system, um, uh, which was the name escapes me at the moment. But uh, uh, the combination of all these things, uh, giving them streaming revenues up 48%, $1.3 billion. And their investment in streaming is continuing to such a degree that they are changing the name of the company. They're going to change the name of the company from Viacom CBS. Well, you know, from Viacom CBS, which it is now. You know, Viacom once owned CBS. Then the company split. Then they remerged as Viacom CBS. Now Viacom CBS is going to change its names to Paramount and uh, emphasizing their Paramount Plus. They announced during the, the call that Paramount Plus had, now has 33 million uh, streaming subscribers. Pluto TV, their global thing, I'm looking at my notes now, uh, had 64 million in subscribers. That's their, their global thing. So they're really stressing. They're even changing their stock tickers. Uh, their their uh, Class B shares, Para, P-A-R-A. Their Class uh, A shares, Para. Or maybe maybe it's Para. Are you having a stroke? What is going on right now? Is that what it sounds like? It sounds stroke? like you're having uh, a stroke, yeah. P-A-R-A-A -A -A are the Class <laughs> A shares. For those so inclined, uh -huh. um, I want to talk about Yellowstone. Okay, we may have mentioned this briefly. I know you and I talked about it offline. Have you uh, have you watched Yellowstone? I haven't, but I'm familiar with it. The middle of the country uh, likes Yellowstone. It's like succession with more horses and fewer private jets and yachts. You mean no private jets and yachts? No, there are some private jets. I haven't seen any yachts yet. Um, but uh, and Yellowstone, uh, I thought. Is Yellowstone based in modern times? It is based in modern times. Oh, oh see, I don't really know much about it. Look at me. Uh, Kevin Costner is a cowboy, essentially, mm -hmm. trying to protect his ranch next to Yellowstone National Park. So it was. So this is interesting. Um, it is. It is a show that has had great appeal in places where linear TV has not had great appeal recently. It was the 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 end of the fourth season was the singular most watched series in linear cable. 
Wow. With 9.3 million uh, viewers on the day of that final uh, episode, up 81% over season three, which was had preceded it by 14 months. They had some COVID-related delays to season four. But Paramount, Paramount CBS, MTV, whatever you want to call this company, they effed this thing up so badly with the streaming rights. So here Paramount is trying to launch Paramount Plus, trying to compete with Netflix and Amazon Prime and HBO and so on. The problem is, and they've got this huge hit in Yellowstone, the, the literally biggest show on cable. They got it. And what do they do with it? They sold the rights to somebody else. So the show was streaming for its first three seasons and will when be did that, streaming its fourth uh, sorry season. Sorry to interrupt. When did that decision happen along the way? Years ago. A few years ago. Okay. So a years few ago. years before the birth of Paramount Plus. These guys sold the rights. I don't have the, I don't know the date of the deal and the date that was negotiated, but they were launching this streaming show, Yellowstone, and thought, hey, let's be smart and sell it to Comcast. And let's, let's sell many years of it to Comcast and many seasons to Comcast in the future. So Comcast launches Peacock Network and they end up with the biggest hit on cable in Yellowstone. Ouch. And so here you've got Viacom CBS making Yellowstone, the hottest show on TV, and they can't air the episodes except for the moments that they are live. They can't stream the episodes and they can't use it to prop up their crummy Paramount Plus. I'm calling it crummy, yes. Their Paramount Plus network. And they also can't communicate this clearly. So they've got users going online searching, where can I find season four of, where can I find season two of? So again, the new episodes of Yellowstone could only be watched live in the Paramount Network or ParamountNetwork.com or the Paramount Network app, which you need a cable login for. Old episodes of Yellowstone, seasons one through three, could only be watched on Comcast, Peacock. And now that uh, Yellowstone's not live, can you stream it on, on Paramount Plus or Paramount Yellowstone? Or can you stream Paramount's Yellowstone or Paramount Network? No. Can you stream it on the paid channel, Paramount Plus? No. Can you stream it on Comcast Peacock, like seasons one through three? No. Your only option to stream this thing is to, when all the buzz is hot, is to buy it on Amazon Prime or wait until April 2 when it still won't show up on Paramount Plus or Paramount. It'll show up on Peacock. So it's just a mess. And these guys absolutely screwed this thing up. And maybe three or four years ago, they hadn't heard of Netflix or streaming or, or Amazon Prime or HBO and didn't see this in their future. But it's, it's, it's just a big mess. So what they're doing to try to fix this is launch other shows from the creator of, of Yellowstone, uh, written by the creator of Yellowstone. He's a, a, an, an odd guy who writes every word of every show all by himself. And there's no writer's room. There's no, you know, uh, Good for him. A group of people. Laughing all the way to the bank, I'm sure. Taylor Sheridan is launching now, thanks to a new deal with Comcast, a $200 million development deal. With a bunch Comcast? of other shows. Uh, with Paramount. You say Comcast. Okay, so Paramount. My, right. my, mis my, my right. spoke. So right. they're with the new, co the company now called, now called Paramount, the artist currently known as Paramount, uh, will have 18, it already has 1883, which is a a, 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 a a precursor to the story of Yellowstone. They're going to launch a show called the, uh, another show, uh, I think called The Mayor of Kingstown. Uh -huh. there, there's talk of another show, I think, called uh, 6666, 
a contemporary show starring one of the characters of one of the plot lines in the live in the, in the modern day Yellowstone version. One of them is going to star uh, uh, Billy Bob Thornton, reportedly. Another one, uh, Taylor Sheridan, uh, who rides horses, met Sylvester Stallone and his kids at a, in Burbank at a horse uh, equestrian center. And now Sylvester Stallone is is uh, reported to be starring in one of these new shows. That's a good so time to be Taylor Sheridan. That's great. <laughs> uh, they're doing spinoffs because they can't get to the Yellowstone because they sold the rights. So trying to defend this big mess is Robert Backish, the CEO it's a company currently Viacom CBS, about to be Paramount. Here's Robert Backish. Uh, with respect to Yellowstone, you're right, that deal was done pre the Viacom CBS merger. That's unfortunate. Um, rather than just forego that opportunity, we chose to aggressively get into um, spinoff series like 1883, um, related series in terms of the creator and mayor of Kingstown. You saw some more stuff coming. That's working very well for us. Yellowstone is... Uh, part of Paramount Plus internationally. So that's how we think of that uh, franchise today. So I think they're looking franchise. I think they're looking spinoff. They think it's not going to screw up the storylines with all these shows. Maybe it's a it's a Marvel multiverse of cowboys and sidearms and well, rolling listen, hills. There's, there's obviously an appetite for it. Um, but I, I'd be interested to find out who are the people that made these original decisions, these original missteps about Yellowstone back in the day and where they are uh, now? I'll bet they're hard to find. <laughs> Success has many fathers. Failure uh, is an orphan. Oh, I feel very sorry for those people. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Devon Energy. Devon Energy trades at a DVN and shares have gained 157% in 12 months, vastly overperforming the market. Shares have been steadily climbing higher since March of 2020. Indeed, this was the best performing stock in the S&P 500 last year, the, the absolute number one. Uh, we had the CEO, Rick Moncrief, on our show uh, a few months ago now. It was a great interview. If you haven't heard that one, you might want to go back and find that on your favorite or, you know, even go to your second favorite podcast platform. You'll still find the Rick Moncrief Devon interview, but uh, they reported a quarter that was super strong, uh, benefiting from the merger that they did with, um, uh, I think WMT uh, with the former Whiting Petroleum, I believe. Uh, but they had sales of four point two billion dollars, up two hundred thirty four percent year over year. Um, and yet they think that this is a time that their stock is undervalued. They're going into the market, uh, increasing their share buyback problem uh, a program sixty percent to one point six billion dollars. They're bumping up their base dividend. Now, remember these guys who maybe don't remember, these guys have a really interesting dividend program where they've got a, a, a adjustable dividend based on their profits. The more profits, the more dividend. So they'll have a base dividend and then they'll have a certain percentage of cash flows we paid out um, in a variable dividend. Uh, and the combination is about a 7.8% forward yield on the stock right now in, the, in terms of dividend yield. So investors in the company, even at, at the increased price of today, are getting a nice little bonus for owning the shares. Um, and, you know, the big question here is what is, okay, so we've got WTI crude at 90 bucks. So the, the question is how do the oil companies respond? Do they respond like they always do by making, by producing too much oil? But in the short term, will this company get the benefit of higher oil? You think, well, yeah, they go in the market and sell at a higher price. Well, that's not how it works. Companies hedge their output long before the oil or in the oil price of the day shows up. So the question for these guys really is, 
how much have they hedged and how big are their deals with counterparties uh, outside of, um, of Devon? Um, and the answer is these guys have say, uh, hedged about 50%. So they are exposed to price swings, you know, half of the price swings out there, half their prices are locked in. So I, I'm going to call that reasonably unhedged and open to uh, the uh, benefits of rising, rising oil prices. And while they've said they're not going to add a lot to their output, they are looking at some new projects. There were some hints of participation in some new projects, new drilling uh, that could happen. They didn't say if it's Permian or anywhere else, but that could come out out of the ground in 2023, 2024. Here's CFO Jeff Rittenauer. We do term sales for the for the large part uh, with pretty large counterparties, which also have firm takeaway from from the basin. So that combined, um, uh, we we feel really good about our ability to move the molecules out of the basin and and don't foresee any issues, um, you know, with 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 getting backed up and, and shutting in wells. I'll, I'll add to that. We're also evaluating the participation in a couple of the new projects that have been discussed, and um, as you're well aware, could probably come online in that 23, 24 time frame. So we feel really good about being able to move the molecules and get them taken away from the basin. And then beyond just the takeaway, what I would highlight is obviously we do have some price exposure in basin for the sales that we do, and in that case, we've, we've utilized basis, basis swaps um, on just over 50% of our volumes there to help us manage that price exposure. So our marketing team has done a great job kind of setting us up, making sure that we have the ability to move the molecules and then uh, going even a step further and helping us mitigate the, the price uh, you know, pressure we're likely to see as it's going to uh, be volatile as the market kind of evolves over the next couple of years. So you hear it from Devon and frankly hear from a lot of oil companies. They don't have a lot of faith that the increased oil prices of today are going to be around tomorrow. And that might limit how much they're willing to drill, which actually might keep those prices higher for longer. All right, coming up, we're going to talk to the Absolute Software CEO, Christy Wyatt. Uh, this is a very interesting company that has zagged, uh, if you will, in the uh, software business and the security business uh, with a different type of embedded software in devices. Probably the device you're listening to right now has Absolute Software somewhere inside so listen carefully and you'll hear the absolute software affecting what we're talking about. The fascinating interview with Christy Wyatt right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I think uh, this is going to be an interesting Braintrust time, actually. I mentioned it during the show earlier, but with a lot of workers being compelled to go back to the office in the next couple of months, I think a lot of engineers, a lot of uh, uh, tech talent, product designers, they're going to say, you know, I want to keep working from home. Screw you, big company that's been employing me. I'm just going to freelance on Braintrust. Uh, and I, I think the Braintrust is going to see a lot of new workers come their way uh, once people are compelled to go back to the office, people who don't want to go back to the office, like so many. All right, as promised, we are joined right now by Christy White, the CEO of Absolute Software, joining us from British Columbia. Glad to have you. Our neighbors from the other side. You guys are dual listed. What's the origin of, of, of Absolute Software's dual listing in the on the Toronto Stock Exchange still and, and yet listed uh, in, in the U.S. as well? 
Yeah. Good morning. First, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. So, so Absolute's um, not a young company. It's about just over twenty years old, and um, they've been listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange for, for for most of that time. So, the original listing was in, I think, the year two thousand. Um, and the company originally started by, you know, protecting children's laptops and one to one school initiatives and making sure that they could be found if somebody stole a backpack and tried to resell that device on the black market. We only did the um, the the NASDAQ listing, the dual listing last year. So we're we're just over a year into it. I think it was November of last year. So how does that change your business? I'm always saying that I don't care about the stock market. I do care about the business. But how does a listing in the U.S. change that, as you mentioned, you know, multi-decade old software business? Yeah, I, I think the way we viewed it was um, we saw increasing activity with the U.S. shareholders. We had a fair fairly sizable holdings by uh, folks south of the border. Um, but Absolute as a cybersecurity company for everything that we do is still relatively little little known. Um, and so we really had no US coverage um, in the US market. It was not as easy to transact uh, on the US side. And so it was really about visibility and accessibility. And so I, I think we accomplished what we set out to accomplish. It, it made it I think, easier to easier to find and more accessible to those shareholders. I have the the market cart way ahead of the, the business horse. Let's talk about the business. You guys, yeah. it seems to be, we've 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 had the the great fortune of talking to a lot of security companies lately on our on the drill down, and um, uh, almost all of them, not even almost all of them, all of them, I think, claim to be in uh, zero trust identity management. They're all chasing <laughs> after Okta, I think, um, and some are doing quite well at that. You guys are are zigging while they're all zagging, and that that you really are focused. It seems to me on physical infrastructure of physical things for cybersecurity, like making sure devices are what they're supposed to be and where they're supposed to be. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 it is a refreshing change. We are not an identity and access management company. So, so that's not our focus. Um, if, if you understand a little bit about our platform, we're the only cybersecurity company that's actually built into the hardware of every PC and laptop that's been built um, over the last 15 plus years. And so our focus on the device, you know, what we call the endpoint, which is really the thing with the keyboard that users interact with, you know, we we care a lot about that. Um, it's, it's pretty basic stuff. You would be shocked to know how many companies don't know what they own and where it is. Um, and so when we move to this work from anywhere era, and all of a sudden everybody is all over the world doing their job, um, it's really, really important that you can find that device. You can ensure that device is working, that it has the right security on it. And when we get to zero trust, that you can actually trust the controls and the security data that's coming off of that device. And so it's a bit of a different view on it. We believe that, you know, the only part of the enterprise infrastructure the user actually has access to is the device sitting in front of them. So we need to make sure that that device is solid. Um, and that's our focus. Well, and you saw that huge jump in your growth, or, or I shouldn't say huge. It was it was a meaningful jump uh, in your growth. Call it thirty percent or so more than the already uh, nice, you know, fifteen percent or five percent growth rate in two thousand twenty over two thousand nineteen. Kind of kind of a nice pickup in that business. But one wonders how much of that is a one time thing. It's it's definitely not a one time thing. But I you know, I have been in the company for three years now. And and for the first, I'd say pre-pandemic chapter of that, I was spending a lot of time explaining to people why the world was going to change, that that we were really going to have to focus, focus on that end device, that security applications that we all rely on break frequently, um, and that the, the only way to kind of make those devices resilient is to 
is to make them more intelligent and give them the capability to heal themselves. When the pandemic happened, it was more like a big light bulb shining on you know, most organizations saying, oh my gosh, I actually don't know where all my stuff is. Right. Um, you know, I think we bought encryption. I think it's turned on. How do I know if it's turned on? And when what, something what is that bad conversation happens, like at the, at the corporate side? I mean, I, I, I've, yeah. I've known of businesses that have great solutions for CTOs, but the CTOs don't want to tell the CEO they weren't doing it already. Like, oh, I didn't know. We actually didn't know how many computers are logging into our network. Like, is that a hard, does that make it harder to sell? Mm -hmm. Well, so there's, I have two, two answers to that. The first is that is what the pandemic did, right? I think we had, I had CIOs saying, I think I sent between 30 and 50,000 devices home last week. And you're like, well, that's like plus or minus 20,000. I mean, that's, that's kind right, of right. a big sway. So there was kind of no avoiding that topic. But the second thing is because we have a lot of telemetry about these devices, it's, it's just kind of a fact. We, we sort of show up with the data and say, listen, here's, here's what we see in your environment. Does that match what you have? And a lot of times our customers don't use us to displace their other sources of information. They use it to fact check their other sources of information. We publish a lot of research about why security applications and devices stop phoning home. And there's a thousand reasons. And you know we live through them all the time. Applications you thought worked yesterday all of a sudden don't work today. Um, and so that's kind of irrefutable data. We show it to them and say, here's what it looks like now. And here's how we can fix that. Yeah, I think that, uh, and this, I also feel I'm, I'm old as, as our viewers can't see, but uh, the blonde hairs in my beard maybe aren't so blonde. Uh, there are waves of interest in this, in this sort of um, uh, uh, network management, device management uh, software. It seems like about every every eight or ten years, all of a sudden, everyone wants to know what their stuff is. Whether it was Y two K, or as you mentioned, it's it's devices. You know, when you're, the origins of your company, devices going into schools and school children. But it seems, and, and now the pandemic, it seems that this stuff comes and goes, or the or the interest in this thing that should probably always interest uh, the the CIO, the CTO, is actually only of interest occasionally. Um, I I think what we're headed into is kind of what I call the third chapter. Right. If you if you think about the what the world looked like for your employees pre-pandemic, the first chapter, right? Or maybe less than seven percent of your employees were remote. And this is why everybody wants to talk about zero trust right now. Right. It, if if seven percent of your employees are working remote and you know you give them some remote access solution uh, and and you kind of know where they are and you kind of know what they're doing, it's not such a big deal because they sort of there's latency in the connection, things are slow. They sort of know there's certain parts of their job they're not going to be able to do until they get back to their desk. But everybody sort of lived with that's the acceptable remote access solution. Well, and there's a self-selecting group of people who've chosen to manage that way and be managed that way. Or and, that's their job And they're going to work a little yeah. harder. They know they've got to work harder to do that. Exactly. And so then you get to like the second chapter where everybody went home, right? And 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 now, you know, organizations that had bought a, t a tool or a technology for that remote access for that 7%, that was kind of slow and kind of clunky. Now they were asking 100% of their organization to do that, and it just fell apart. And we, you know, we saw it firsthand because of the data we see on the devices. We saw organizations, in some cases, telling employees to turn off VPN. We made self-healing available for free um, to VPN vendor or to customers using VPNs um, just to try to keep those tools always on. They weren't set up for that. And now we're going to the third chapter. And so if we think the second chapter was wild, wait till you see what's coming next, because everybody is remote, but they're not mobile. People are not moving around. They're not moving from network to network. And the data shows us that more than 90% of the organizations are going to have some hybrid or remote workforce that's bigger than 
And these people are going to be moving around, sometimes in the office, sometimes at home, sometimes somewhere else. And so this whole view of, of what we thought was true about security and how you secure a remote access user just all got thrown on the table. And so the answer has to be that you have to secure it at the device sitting in front of the user because that is your only connection to that user. And so it has to be an endpoint focused security. That's why we're all talking about zero trust. And it's why we think um, you know, being on the endpoint is the most critical place to be. Having a cloud hosted solution is amazing if the user can connect to the cloud. If the user can't connect, we have a bigger problem. Uh, indeed. Uh, I'm going to combine two questions into one. You just did a really big merger. And I wonder, yeah. <laughs> um, and so that we see this big ramp in your sales growth from call it 17% to 50%, which is good, you know, 54% to be exact. Um, but uh, maybe more interestingly, I'm, I'm curious how the acquisition changes and the pandemic changes the way you sell hmm. and how you get in front of CTOs and CIOs and how you get them to make the decision to buy your stuff when you can't knock on doors or meet them at conferences and whatever other ways you might've sold in the past. I think we all surprised ourselves over the past two years in, in just how uh, easily we adapted to remote work. And I think that we're no exception to that. We were largely a, a mobile workforce to start with. And so we, we maybe had a little bit of a, a head start. Um, What's very unique about how we sell Absolute as a core is because we're embedded in the hardware, um, almost every hardware manufacturer, has, on, in, at least in the Windows world, has the opportunity to sell Absolute software. So a lot of times people are meeting us for the first time um, when they're buying a new solution from Dell or from Lenovo. Um, and the, the, you know, the, the really easy conversation is, listen, you're spending a lot of money in these assets. Don't you want to make sure that you have a permanent digital tether to those devices, that they never go off your radar and that we can make them smarter and able to fix themselves? And so it's a very accessible message, but it gives us well, as a company. But, but I guess my question is, where do you, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Um, where, do you, where do you get the chance to have that conversation? How do you get yourself? I mean, it makes perfect sense to me, but uh, how do you get to say that? So, uh, I mean, I've, clearly we're doing this in a remote world right now. Um, we're not showing up. Most customers are not taking meetings on their doorstep, but right. but that hasn't really been an issue for, I guess, I guess is the, if, if I look a little perplexed, it hasn't, it hasn't really been an issue because the one thing all of these companies have been doing is engaging very closely with those hardware manufacturers to make sure they have enough systems and they have the infrastructure to be able to support this remote workforce. And so we are in those conversations as a result of the, the relationship we have with those vendors and because we're already built into the box. And does the acquisition you just did change that? Um, it doesn't really. I, I think in time, you know, we'll be able to leverage those channels for the same types of introductions. The announcement we made a month ago that we're injecting what we call persistence, the ability to connect with that hardware piece that I talked about. Um, we're injecting that into the NetMotion products as well. So NetMotion will be the only hardware-enabled self-healing zero trust access solution. And so that makes it you know, easy to sort of factor into those discussions as well. Remember that we, we leverage that channel really for those first introductions and those first transactions. If a customer has 100,000 employees, they may be purchased 15, 20, 25% of, of their devices every year to refresh that portfolio clearly it's been more the past two years but um so so that that relationship in that channel may help us with that introduction for that first purchase my direct selling organization is really focused on how do we then go back and activate the rest of the devices they already have which also have absolute built within them and so netmotion will be able to take advantage of that same land and expand strategy that we have on the rest of our products in time right netmotion i'm sorry the company that you acquired 
Mm-hmm. Let me ask you finally about the IDC numbers we saw this, uh, I think it was this week. Um, so showing Mac sales, uh, fantastic growth. Like I can't remember, and I've been watching these numbers for a long time. It's only one quarter, but but also last year. Seems like a big shift, and I wonder what what you make of that number one, and what that means for your business. Number two, I know Mac is listed as a reseller on your uh, yeah on your investor relations docs and your your ten k. Well, so in, in so important to know, uh, Apple computers are one that we have a solution for. So we do have we do support them in the portfolio, but we. They are the only platform we're not embedded in the hardware, um, right. uh, so they're not a Windows-based solution. So we, we handle that platform slightly differently. But we actually post a lot of information on our website. You can actually see that the percentage of adoption of Macs uh, and Chromebooks collectively is still relatively low within the enterprise. Now, it's growing, to your point. It's, it's growing nicely. Um, where we see it more pronounced is really on the education side. Um, and again, this is true for Macs and Chromebooks, right? I think you'll see a larger distribution of Macs and Chromebooks in education environments, um, and especially over the past couple of years where we've seen an uptick in devices. Schools had to go from one device across multiple students to you know, really closer to every student, every teacher, every administrator having their own device. And that's really you know, caused a lot of activity in the education space. So is that, that, that can't be good for you if you're not in those devices. No, no, it's fine for us. A customer still want to see, we have a Mac solution. We have a Chromebook solution. Um, customers want to see all of their devices and have the same, the core um, self-healing piece we handle differently, but, but the, the, you know, the genesis of our products are visibility, control, resilience, making security applications, self-healing. I mean, we have the same capabilities across all of those platforms. We just tend to do it a little bit differently depending on the architecture. Christy Wyatt, thank you very much. Christy Wyatt's the CEO of Absolute Software. Glad to have you join us when the drill down continues. We'll have that one number that tells us a whole lot, the drill down bite about Absolute Software casting a little more light on this interesting company. Christy, thanks again. Thank you. The drill down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to the drill down on your favorite podcast platform where you're second or third or fourth. Hell, you can listen on your least favorite podcast platform. If you want some fun, you can also speed up how you listen. I've heard my voice at 3x its normal speed. Such a wonderful sound. sound. Yeah. Doesn't sound good. You just want me to be be over. That's the only reason. And you can have that experience, but you can have that experience more regularly if you click the subscribe button to catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. We're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. And Isaac, Christy Wyatt, interesting, absolute, interesting. Yeah, great interview. Than I expected even. But um, one of the interesting things about this company is they did this acquisition of a company called NetMotion last year. And the result is, uh, kind of muddied the water. So NetMotion had deferred revenues, a pile of deferred revenues, let's call it 20 million. That might be, I'm just gonna make up a number. Let's say they were gonna extend over eight quarters. So they might have that on the books at a certain value, the value that was gonna get paid out. But when NetMotion was acquired, accounting reels, uh, rules required them to lower the value of those future revenues um, and discount those. And so now when they recognize those revenues over time, they recognize less than might have actually been paid. Mm. So the revenue number uh, for Absolute is a little funky right now because it doesn't match up with the actual costs of those revenues. 
And so the result is it's hard to understand what's really going on inside of the business and what the profit margins for the business are. So if you were to look at the profit margins on, you know, any, any, any service or anything, or just to kind of calculate the profit margins based on their, their most recent uh, report, you see some negative numbers in most recent quarters, barely positive numbers. But if you strip out the effect of that accounting treatment, and here's the bite, you see a really strong operating profit margin for this company. The operating profit margin for this company, again, stripping out those accounting changes for the acquisition, stripping out uh, depreciation and amortization, the, uh, the profit margin of this company is 26%. That's the bite, 26% wow. in the last quarter, uh, which is really strong for any kind of company. Um, and it has been steadily improving in the last few quarters uh, and bodes well for the business of Absolute Software as they grow through this uh, coming year. I've, listen, they've been in the business for what, 20 years? Ever. Yeah. Ever. They've been building this, this ship. And so it's, you know, they're not a new kid on the block, even though they might not be a household name. Or you've been listening to Drill Down. We appreciate your time. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. I'm Corey Johnson. Somewhere in the background, you hear Nikita barking. She does that sometimes. Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.